X-Ray. And welcome to the Beervana Show, broadcast in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. We are now joining you from our respective homes. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? Yes. Uh, here, here we are in a very normal uh, <laughs> normal podcast situation. I'm sure yeah. the listener finds it very natural. Yes, indeed. Uh, so I'm, I'm in my home and you're in your home and we are joining each other and uh, everyone out there through the miracle of the inner tubes um, that use some kind of vacuum tube technology to get audio signals back and forth. I'm not sure how that works. That's right, a series of tubes. Yes. Anyway, uh, you may notice that there's, there's going to be a difference in this podcast because uh, we originally recorded uh, this podcast outside on your back deck, which was lovely, but we had all kinds of technological kerfuffles or whatever. We did. <laughs> We were we were finally stricken by uh, the difficulties of this this COVID era and and technology. Yeah, so we were pretty pleased that we actually got together. We were you know appropriately distanced on the other side of the other side of the deck, but uh, our technology kind of failed, and it was hard to tell at the time because we were outside and it was really cold. <laughs> it was really cold, uh, and it and it remains very cold. We're we're we went from summer to winter really fast. I, did you know? I, I don't know if you check your app, your weather app, but it actually said ten percent chance of snow today. No, did it really? Oh my it gosh! Did. Yeah, it's cold. It's supposed to freeze tonight. I think it's. Is that the first time it's going to have frozen this year? I think so. Uh, yeah, it could be. So one one nice thing about not being in your backyard, however, is I'm not terrorized by your crazy squirrels. <laughs> running around that massive oak tree and dropping acorns on our heads. And, and, yep. and I mean that quite literally. <laughs> like they were running around and acorns were crashing down. And they were, they were coming from about 50 feet up. So that, those little yeah. could hurt if they hit you. Uh, yeah, yeah, which is just the state of my life all the time. And it was incredibly satisfying to watch your pleasure, <laughs> uh, watch in pleasure at your outrage uh, at those little squirrels. Yeah. Like you're going to rumble. When I, when I say terrorize, I kind of mean it. Like uh, you were afraid any moment you'd get knocked in the noggin on it. Anyway, uh, I should introduce you. Yeah, uh, that's good. We've, we've, we've kind of lost the plot here. You are Jeff Allworth. You have written many books. Among those books are The Beer Bible, The Secrets of Master Brewers, and The Widmer Way. And you are Patrick Emerson. You're a professor of economics at Oregon State University. Go Beavs. Go Beavs. Indeed I am. Yeah. It's fall. It's full on fall. So the cold is here. Uh, I wanted to, to, to mention to you that, um, in fact, now I can mention it to you because this was after uh, the podcast, uh, after recording the podcast, I, I uh, went home. Well, that wasn't the, the next day, I suppose. Anyway, my point is I had this beautiful uh, Mertzen Fest beer from Block 15, and I felt like it was in perfect synchronicity with the weather outside. Yeah, we had you and you, uh, when we recorded that podcast, you brought me a can of it, and uh, my wife Sally and I had split it last night with our uh, takeout food because we were not going anywhere because it was super cold. And you're right, it was perfect. It, I, I, and I really regretted that I didn't have like 15 of them it was perfect, <laughs> i know perfect it, beer it is it was a perfect fall beer so uh yeah go get your seasonals now yeah all right well today uh which was a few days ago <laughs> we're gonna talk <laughs> we're going to do another one of our virtual tours we're going to take you since we can't travel physically we're going to tra- take you virtually to one of the great beer cities of america today we're going to go to the warm brisket scented city of austin texas uh, our tour guide for today's travel is Ruvenita Silva, whom you may know by her social media handle, Amethyst Heels. Ruveni, an expat Londoner, has embraced her city with gusto and has perhaps the most comprehensive reviews of Austin's breweries and beery places at her website, craftbeeramethyst.com. We'll start our jaunt down to Texas soon, but first we need to talk about the new- Most of the news about beer in 2020 has not been great. Consider this, however. Maybe that makes it a perfect time to start a brewery. I think it's actually a great time to start, Dan Canary, the CEO of Massachusetts Bay Company, told the Boston Business Journal in a recent article, and I didn't include this in our script, but he is the, uh, that uh, Massachusetts Bay is Harpoon. Massachusetts um, Bay others- Brewing Company, by the way. Yes. Did I not say <laughs> Not that? to be confused with the uh, 19, uh, 1600 
uh, colony of the mass used to be. Oh, that's true. <laughs> uh, others agree. It's not going to get any tougher, they say, and brewing equipment is cheap, and so are building rents. Uh, so if you can devise a business model that works in the middle of a pandemic, it will likely work in the long haul, they argue. So there you go. Uh, a little bit of good news or some positive uh, possibilities, even in the, you know amid this pandemic, I guess. Yeah, certainly this is, seems like a good time to find uh, a property. Uh, there's a lot of vacant properties now. There's a lot of uh, landlords probably looking, looking for rents and willing to give a good deal, especially they might be willing to give a good startup deal, uh, so sort of cheap startup price, and then uh, as things get going, of course, you're going to be gambling on how quickly people are going to get back into the into the pubs. Uh, well, okay, I'm thinking of a brew pub model. If you're doing a packaging brew, that's something else. But uh, yeah, and I bet there's a bunch of cheap equipment around these days. That's right. And uh, one of the cool things for potential uh, breweries in, in negotiating leases and, and uh, looking at properties is you have a little bit more leverage now. So if you need, you know, if you want to bargain on the build out or, you know, good lease uh leasing terms and stuff like that, uh, landlords may very much <laughs> be willing to work with you in ways they wouldn't, you know, uh, a year ago when rents were tight and high, uh, yeah, properties were tight and rents were high and all that stuff. Yeah. My sense is that early on landlords were kind of sticking to their guns. You know, they, they've got payments to make too. So I, I, I understand that side of it as well, but, but I think they were kind of betting on this sort of coming uh, clean, you know, the, the pandemic sort of passing through reasonably quickly. And so they are sort of holding their line. Uh, and it surprised me because, you know, having a sitting tenant, giving them a break to keep them in the, in the property and rather than having a vacant storefront uh, seemed to me a better deal. But uh, there were a lot of businesses that closed or are closing. And so I was, I was surprised. Uh, but I think by now you would think that uh, landlords are starting to get a little jittery about how quickly they're going to be able to fill their 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 properties and and get that rental income you know i i uh a little little local anecdote in my neighborhood there was a a little uh a coffee shop that had uh basically gone out of business and then a, a four lease sign uh appeared in the window and that stayed that way for a little while and this was sort of you know as a as a, as a, a consequence of covid and then just the other day i was going by and the the business, the little coffee shop is back in business and the lease for lease sign is gone and they seem to have sort of rebooted the whole business from uh, from where they left off, which uh, I don't know the true reason, but what's, what I suspect is that the landlord realized I better, maybe I can work with the, <laughs> this tenant now and then, because uh, I probably weren't getting, wasn't getting any uh, interest in the property. Yeah, and they didn't know probably when, when all that happened that they were looking at another six to nine months, you know. Right, right. The calculus <laughs> uh, has changed. Yeah. So I have a question. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get too far off track here, but um, it, there was a lot of speculation that we would see a kind of uh, vicious cycle happen where businesses uh, couldn't stay open, particularly retail businesses. They couldn't afford, they, so they went out of business or left their, you know, let their leases go. And then commercial owners had the same kind of trouble and they got it, you know, and there was going to be this like vicious cycle, which doesn't seem like it's happened. Do you, do you have, you're an economist, what's going on with that? Well, so I still think that it's possible. Um, a couple things happened. One, the first big government bailout happened and that helped. The second is I think that everybody's sort of imagining this to be, even though it seems long-term, I mean, from a business perspective, it's reasonably short-term if, like if it's like a full one calendar year blip, you can still kind of uh, hedge against uh, future income. Um, so I suspect some of that's going on. But I do actually think that there's going to be still a fair amount of fallout that we have yet to see, that people are still hanging on by their fingernails, but it's, it, I don't think it's going to take much longer before we're going to start seeing more deeper effects, particularly if we can't get another uh, government fiscal stimulus plan going or a fiscal right. rescue plan, really. Right. Another yeah. bailout. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, people seem to have avoided the big consequences so far, but I'm worried that they're, they're still around the corner if, if we don't do something major. Yeah, well... I'm anyway, glad I asked on that happy note. Yeah. All that, all that, all that said, uh, this is a great time, I think. Well, 
let me let me rephrase. This could be a potentially a unique opportunity to to latch onto some cheap property and some relatively cheap uh, brewing equipment and uh, take a gamble and try to start a brewery. And by the time the COVID is uh, uh, over and the economy has turned something back to normal, you might be ready to go. So go for it. I like I like the idea. Okay, well there you go. You're an economist. <laughs> you, you, you know something, so excellent. <laughs> well, I'm not doing it, but I, I applaud anyone who tries. Uh, okay, the second news item. Uh, it's not all easy sledding, however. Breweries with multiple tap rooms are finding it hard to keep them with no customers and expensive rents. Two recent examples highlight the issue. In New York City, Mee Keller has closed their city field, while here in Portland, Hopworks recently announced they wouldn't renew the lease on their North Williams outpost. So the local one, Hopworks is a local brewery and brew pub. Their main location is still open, but this is this was a, a second location that they had opened. Um, they have a couple others too, I think. Uh, and uh, so they've announced this one's closing. The Mee Keller, is that in the baseball field? Right. Yeah, where the Mets play. Yeah, so that makes sense. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, right? No customers probably means not a great, great place to, to keep open. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, many breweries have uh, adopted this idea since you can make so much more money uh, per per barrel of beer sold if you're selling it at your own tap room, your right. own establishment. We have seen a ton of these kind of proliferating mini chains. You know, breweries will have two or three or four outposts. Yep. Uh, and it's a it's a great way to short business. Uh, unless there's a pandemic it turns out <laughs> yeah suddenly you're uh, pivoting to packaging and off-premise uh consumption and so having a place for people to come drink beer isn't so great <laughs> right yeah and that Hopworks place here in portland that thing closed down in march or maybe you know whenever the i'm not sure the exact date it closed down but it never opened again um and it, it has no outdoor seating as far as i know um, so it was it was not a likely prospect to open again for another six months or so. And I can imagine when the lease came up, it just, boy, what, why would you continue to put money into something like that? Yeah, we've talked about uh, the, the, the days closing down, the weather getting cold, and in, in, in the case of Portland, Oregon, very wet, uh, and thinking about the, the business model that has kind of sustained some restaurants so far has been pushing seating out onto the sidewalks and even into the to the street parking areas. Portland's been really aggressive making those uh, avail, available to businesses to build little uh, seating areas. That's great until things start getting like they are now, quite cold and it gets dark quite early. And uh, so uh, it looks like it's going to be a particularly challenging time since we clearly haven't turned the corner on COVID. In fact, COVID has kind of turned the corner back on us. Yeah, we're, we're having... Uh, the last two days, I don't know what today is going to turn out to be, but the last two days were uh, record numbers of new cases. Um, and, you know, their doctors have learned how to treat these better. So uh, not so many, you know, the, the, the deaths per case count is going down as our hospitalizations, but the, the case count is getting so high that we're starting to see those tick back up. And, you know, it's just, just October. We have a, we're barely into fall. So this, this is kind of scary. Yeah. So get back to your earlier point. Like, I think there's still a lot of shaking out that's going to happen and the winter is going to be rough, but you know, I, I will say in credit to Portlanders, I suppose uh, I was driving uh, home through my neighborhood last night and it was about 40 degrees, maybe 42 degrees. It was cold and it was yeah. about seven thirty. It was dark. Uh, and there's a restaurant in my neighborhood that um, not only have they sort of been able to put seating in the in the parking areas, but they've actually the city has been aggressive in allowing businesses to close off part, portions of side streets, and so they have the whole street. Um, they have a bunch of tables, and there weren't that many tables full, but there were probably like four maybe tables with people out there eating <laughs> eating dinner outside. You know, no heat lamps, no cover, nothing, just Ooh. full out in the outside. Uh, having their nice meal in 42 degrees. I was I was impressed. Portlanders That is that is really impressive. Yeah, Oregonians and Portlanders in general are not known for their uh sort of uh, stoic ability to survive cold. A little a little more so rain, yes, but cold no. So it was good. I was, I was impressed. Yeah, um, I I had exactly the opposite experience yesterday. Per, a personal experience. Sally and I were uh thinking, "Oh, let's we maybe we'll we'll get out, you know, late afternoon, try to get to a restaurant." Uh, before, because uh, it gets dark so quick, 
uh, before the rush, you know, because it was and it was kind of sunny. So we're looking out the window and thinking, oh, it's a nice night. <laughs> we stepped outside and it was windy. And like you said, it was uh, at that point, it was it was probably like 48 degrees. Yeah. But that wind, <laughs> wind hit us and it felt like, you know, it was cutting right through you. And we said, OK, let's do takeout instead. And yeah. I, I, <laughs> that was, I don't know if <laughs> that was our experience, although we went to the store and got soup. Yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> we're like, let's get <laughs> And then we drive, we're driving back with our soup and watching these people uh, eat out. But by the way, I was wondering, you know, uh, I imagine that they're probably having maybe hot toddies or something like that. But if you're out there in the cold, like what kind of beer would you would you drink? Something high high test? Is that would that be your Yeah, it would be. And and also I I'm, you know, I I long ago had that connection between dark beer and cold and i had a couple of porters in the fridge and uh when this cold weather hit my my attention really turned to them uh that that oktoberfest was right in the wheelhouse as well and then i followed it up with a porter so somehow i don't know warming there's a way in which there's a you know they're they're cold beers and yet they somehow seem to be warmer and it's not entirely connected to the uh, to the alcohol content. So yeah. for me, it's it's both alcohol and this other vague quality that I associate with the winter. Do you think that I might, uh, you know, I've decided in my own mind that that has a lot to do with just the presence of malt, uh, beers that sort of feature more malt flavors. I, kinda, I think you're right. Yeah, whether they're dark or not, or roasty or not, just any kind of uh, beer that, f- that features malt, uh, to me, I get that sort of warm sensation. Yeah, I think you're right. It's uh, interesting. This made me a blog post. I have to put my mind to this. <laughs> okay, now that I've set, now that we've set you up, uh, talking about all this cold weather, uh, we can now uh, turn to our interview of um, Ruveni, who lives in beautiful Austin, Texas. Uh, and wouldn't I like to be there right now? <laughs> totally. Although it is bright and sunny outside, I'll give you that. But it's cold. All right, and uh, unlike the time when we badly recorded the uh, first intro we actually now have had that interview and we know it's just delightful so stay tuned because this is a fun interview yeah uh she's wonderful and austin sounds fantastic so enjoy all right for today's virtual tour of austin texas we have perhaps the most active writer covering the city ruveni da silva Originally from the United Kingdom, her love of beer started at the Great British Beer Festival in 2005. She started traveling to the United States in 2009, discovering craft beer here, and moved to Austin in 2017. Beyond her own site, she's written for a number of outlets, including Good Beer Hunting and Craft Beer Austin. Ruveni organized charity beer events and walking tours back in London, raising money for help refugees, and continues to be an active member of CAMRA, the British-based pro-cask advocacy group. So, Ruveni, welcome to the pod. We're we're both sitting here freezing in in Portland, Oregon, and thinking that it must be much nicer and warmer uh, there in Austin, which yeah. is where we'd like to be right now. It is roasting here. I mean, not by Texas <laughs> standards, but by October standards, it's what about thirty degrees for us, which is about eighty-five for you guys, I think. So it's pretty hot. Yep, we have the AC on. You're still on Celsius. Come on, man. You're in America. You gotta. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm quite slow to catch up with things, so one day. It's all right. So apparently, are we still on Fahrenheit? The only country left, I think. So we were excited to have you on. I've been following you on Twitter and seeing all your uh, social media posts of you at various breweries around Austin. Uh, and I was excited to have you on to tell us about Austin. But why don't you tell us a little bit about your background first? Um, your an expat uh, Londoner. So give us yeah. the deep background. How did you, how did you get into beer? We, we touched that a little bit, but give us the fuller account of your, uh, your background here. Uh, absolutely. Um, yep. I grew up just outside of London, uh, moved to London after college. And I first got sort of seriously interested in beer after my first visit to the Great British Beer Festival. Um, it's an amazing event. It was so sad to have it cancelled this year, along with everything else. Um, I actually travel back annually pre-COVID for specifically for that event, even now that I live in Austin. Um, it's a huge celebration of cask beer from across the UK. And now increasingly internationally, we have a great, fantastic selection of American beers available on cask 
actually a lot of beers that you would never see on cask in the US they have over there. Um, it's really, really special. I'm a camera member, volunteer. I help organize as well as serving beer and um, helping out with their PR for some of their events. Um, they're a really, really great organization with a really great cause. Um, I'm hopefully going to be doing a bit of writing for them in the future. And I'm really passionate about what they do as well as the beers. Um, cask beer is so full of flavor. It's so exciting. I mean, they don't call it live beer just because it's it's literally live. It tastes so alive. And um, anyone who's really into craft beer should definitely um, check it out if they possibly can. Uh, We're very lucky. There's actually a brewery not too far from Austin who does serve um, traditional English style cask beer uh, called Acapon Brewing up in the Texas Hill Country. We actually went there yesterday. And and I was salivating over their dark mild, um, one of my favorite cask beer styles. So, yeah, I would highly recommend it. Well, you're talking to two giant cask fans. Patrick is actually a subject of the Queen. Uh, His mother's English. And uh, we we did a big tour there uh, a decade ago or something and um, indulged for 10 days in in cask ale. So we are are right there with you. Did you have any favorites that you can remember? Oh, many favorites. We started out at Fuller's, which was pretty transcendent uh, in London, and got to meet yes. John Keeling, who was still the head brewer there at the time. Oh, yes. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah, it was it was nice. But we went to a bunch of uh, cool places. I, we we tried to mix it up between newer, craftier type breweries uh, and also uh, old cask breweries. So we went to Green King and saw the mothership at Green King. We went to Adnams. Oh, you co- you covered a good yeah a good a good sweep oh. of, of different uh, Samuel Smith. That's, it makes yeah. me laugh. You can buy Sam Smith's beers here. I mean, in Texas, if you if you try, you can get a Sam Smith's beer, and you you can get some fullers as well if you put your back into it. Which yeah, I don't know quite what condition they're going to be in after traveling all this way, but they are available. Which yep, yeah, which is great. It it is great. I mean. To your point, I think the cask presentation really changes a beer, and having a, a, a pint of uh, Fuller's Pride at uh, London Pride at the brewery is so much different than a pub in, in London. is so much different than getting a bottle sent to Texas or Portland, yes. Oregon. So, yes, this is why um, for yeah, in, in interested parties, it's yeah. I mean, I know we're not supposed to, but it doesn't do any harm to pack one or two in the suitcase. Shall we say? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so uh, what brought you to Texas? I first visited Texas back in 2013 on vacation, and I fell in love with it, Um, particularly Austin, but really the whole state. It's just, I find it a really magical place. Um, I love the scenery. I love the music scene, um, the food, and obviously, yes, the beer. Um, And when my husband and I, he is an American citizen, he's a dual citizen, so we were able to relocate over here. We met studying American history. We both always wanted to live here. And I said, well, Austin, it's all about Austin. And being huge music fans as well as beer, this has been a really, really fantastic fit for us. We love it. We continue to love it. Um, there's always, I mean, obviously pandemic aside, there's always stuff to do, exciting stuff, really, really good fun. And the beer and the music scene actually meld together beautifully. The breweries support the musicians, the music venues support the breweries. It's a really, really great community to be a part of. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I was supposed to go to Austin in 2015, uh, and I it, the trip got canceled, and it was the closest I'd gotten. And I've been, and things have gotten much more interesting there beer wise since. So I'm very yeah. excited to go. But in the absence of me being able to go, you're going to take us on a virtual tour. So why don't we start that? And uh, I think it's useful for listeners and for me uh, to get an overview of the city. Like if you come to the city. What is the physical terrain? Where where are the breweries and beery places located? And like where you know where should you f- start and where should you go? Where's where's the kind of give us a physical sense of pl- the place? Absolutely. Um, like most sort of major cities, Austin's divided into its its relatively distinct neighborhoods. Fortunately. 
virtually all of them have their own breweries and their own sort of micro beer scene, as it were. Pretty much anywhere where you're staying in and around the Austin area, you will have breweries pretty close to you. Um, if you're here as a tourist, there are plenty of breweries downtown near the university, the state capital. Um, if you're sort of heading out into the hill country to um, enjoy the scenery, there's tons and tons of great breweries out there too um so wherever you are you'll have something relatively nearby we also have um, a lot of great craft beer bars around the city um but geographically we've got yeah the center um the northern sort of area south austin east austin and then out in into the hill country which are the sort of i would say the rough um separate regions and I have heard this phrase, uh, the hill country, but I don't actually know which which direction is it and how far away is it? Um, the hill country is central Texas, so it's slightly to the west of the city. Um, and it sort of spreads um, from a bit further north near Lake Austin to south towards San Antonio. Um, when I show pictures of um, of this, the countryside to people from the UK that where are the hills? I don't see any hills. Why do you call it the hill country? The hills are very <laughs> subtle, the subtle hills, but they are there and they're, they're really beautiful. Um, and um, if you're familiar, for example, with one of Austin's most famous breweries, Just King, that's where they're based, right out in the countryside, except now they have um, about 15 um, new friends um, in terms of other breweries in the, around them. So it's a really great beer destination. Yeah, we had uh, one of those breweries actually send us a beer, uh, Rough House. They're out there oh, somewhere. Yes. Huh? Oh, they're absolutely lovely. They're not that far from our house because we're in South Austin. They do amazing um, uh, Foda-aged, um, spontaneous ferment brews, relatively new. Um, but yeah, good, really, really great people. Um, I hope you enjoyed their beer. We did. Uh, they have they have gorgeous labels, which were really yeah. attractive. And, and I was worried that they had put all their effort into the labels. But no, they, the beer yeah. was really good. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. Tell us a little bit about um, the kind of the history of Austin's uh, craft beer scene. What are what are some kind of the old uh, stalwarts, and uh, you know the kind of give us a, a chronological sense of things. Like where, if you wanted to get a sense of the old the older breweries uh, that gave rise to the the younger ones, where would you go? Um, so the um, longest running brewery in Austin is actually Live Oak Brewing, who are fortunately located very close to my house, which was very handy during getting beer to go in um, lockdown. They have been going since 97. They specialize in European style lagers and very much drawing on Central Texas's German roots. Um, our, our first settlers were German colonists and they take those traditions very seriously. They do a killer Grzitzki and I'm actually enjoying their Black is Beautiful right now, which is a um, German style Schwarz beer. They did a really, really interesting take on the Black is Beautiful um, which is really, really delicious. So they're definitely a, a key stalwart um, to the scene here. Um, Salis Brewing, um, originally from um, a Belgian um, brewer, they've been going since 92. They've had a few um, um, closures and reopenings, but they are um, um, still going at present. Um, they specialize in uh, Belgian wet beer. But um, other breweries, obviously Jester King started 10 years ago, also Circle Brewing, who started at the same time as them. Um, Austin Beer Works, fantastic brewery up in North Austin. They've been going since, I think, 2008. And um, Pint House Pizza is another older one. And Blackstar Co-op, who are an actual cooperative based um, in just north of the city and They've gone on to uh, to do great things. People who've worked there have started several of the other really um, successful breweries in town, like Fourth Tap and Blue Owl. So there's the history might not be um, super super old like it is in the, um, some other cities, but it's yeah, it, it's solid and it's um, yeah, it's really really growing all the time. We have new breweries opening. I actually went to two soft brewery openings last weekend, so the scene here is really really growing fast. It's, this, um, I'm curious about this uh, this German heritage, which I 
I don't really know that much about. But when you go back to uh, Texas, has had some kind of classic uh, brands uh, over the the you know the last the 20th century and and before, and they are in a, a German idiom. Uh, Shiner Bach is kind of a famous one. So tell me a little bit about that. I, I always thought of Texas as more, you know, inflected by the southern border rather than German immigrants. I don't know so much about the German heritage and these breweries, but it is true that when I think of some of the kind of classic Texas breweries, they make things like lagers and, and Hefeweizens and yeah. Uh, yeah. those kinds of beers. So what yeah. do you know too much about that that background? Uh, I, a little bit, yes. It's very interesting because I was obviously in, in preparation for this, listening to um, your recording with Beth talking about the San Diego beer scene. And, right. yep, obviously we do have um, some influence. We have some really great uh, locally produced Mexican lagers. Um, Austin Beer Works La Badad is the immediate one that springs to mind. But the German influence here is incredibly strong. Um, it's especially um, a little bit further north of Austin, um, up towards Fredericksburg. But even here in the city, uh, we, we like our German-style lagers. Um, Scheinerbock is, yeah, it's an absolute classic Texas beer. I love it. It's especially useful if you're hungover because you can drink that absolutely any time. It's amazing. <laughs> it's wonderful stuff. Um, they also have so many variants of it. They're all really tasty. But, yeah, I mean... Most of the, um, at least a lot of the craft breweries who are interested in lagers, they will produce um, a, a German or a Czech style of beer. And yep, Live Oak is a particularly good example of that. Up in Fredericksburg, there's a brewery called Altstadt, um, relatively new, and yep, they're very much um, taking on that tradition too. So um, the yeah, the the, the the German presence is strong here. That guides me a little bit to a question I try to ask folks, which is the drinking culture. Um, Texas is hot. Uh, and (laughs) it seems like that would inflect what kind of things you drank, whether they're beer or other things. What do people drink in Texas and what kind of beer do they drink? Do they, is it, is it a particularly beery place, uh, or cocktails, wine, what, what, what do people drink in Texas? It's a good mix of all of those. The hill country is very well known for its vineyards. Um, you literally trip over them. They're everywhere. People come here for wine tours. So there's a really, yeah, there's a really vibrant wine scene as well. And we have some amazing distilleries. I mean, everyone knows Tito's, but there's so many more um, fantastic local distilleries that uh, are very well known in and around the Austin area. So we have still Austin here in the city, um, Treaty. Oak, Revolution Spirits, Desert Door, who produce a spirit called Sotol that I don't think you can get anywhere else. Um, some really, really great stuff. Um, I've been reading recently that Ranch Water, which I, has been traditionally a Texas cocktail, is apparently taking off around the country, which um, is, is quite exciting. So that's Topo Chico, traditionally with um, tequila, but you can use any spirit that you want. Um, so I, I heard that that's now sort of spreading in its um, yeah in its popularity, which is kind of cool. But huh. um, beer is beer is big here. Um, people who don't drink craft beer, there's a lot of macro choice. I mean, Lone Star is the um, the obvious one. I I personally do enjoy a few Lone Stars. It must be said. Um, but there is yep. I mean, beer in terms of getting very local beer is surprisingly popular. I mean, it's, you know, hot, hot weather is actually hard with beer because beer is uh, fuller, you know, it's, it's uh, sweeter and fuller. And if it gets very hot, uh, you can, even a light beer can seem kind of heavy. So what styles are popular in the craft kind of field? Um, Is it, you know, we we mentioned Lone Star. I think in many, if it were a hundred degrees, I'd probably want a Lone Star. (laughs) They do, they do go down well. IPAs are actually very popular, um, especially in Austin. We have a lot of breweries who specialize in IPAs and produce some really, really high quality stuff. Um, some of them you you may have come across. Um, Pint House Pizza, for example, they are known for just having a really, really wide range of IPAs, both um, Session and Core Beers. Uh, Austin Bearworks, whom I've already mentioned, Hops and Grain. Uh, we have a great brewery here called Oddwood Ales, who produce some really fantastic IPAs. Um, and we cut across all the styles as well. Um, West Coast, my favorite. Um, we have a lot of New England IPAs, a lot of um, Imperial Doubles. And um, I've been 
sort of reading about a thing that some people are describing as an Austin IPA. No one seems to know exactly what it is. Um, mm, but asking so around, Pint House Pizzas, Electric Jellyfish seems to be the general consensus. <laughs> So, so that would be a sort of what they call a, a, a new style hazy. So a hazy, but with a decent amount of residual bitterness. Ah, interesting. And uh, is it a particular strength level or any strength? Um, most of the regular IPAs here fall between 6 and 8%. Uh -huh. So, and usually closer to 7 but that's the, that's the standard, I would say. Uh -huh. And this... this uh, this Austin IPA, is it in that? About 6.8, 6.9, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. All right. All right. Austin IPA. I'm going to have to throw that out on uh, to the to the listeners and let them see what they think of that oh, and if they've had one. I would love some feedback that's not from my immediate circle on that subject. So, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's one of the cool things. IPA has become this template in the United States and people riff on it and so we're seeing different expressions you know new england is the most famous but there were the west coast ones and the truth is the west coast was had different varieties if you were in the northwest or the <laughs> oh, uh, I'm sure. far, far, far <laughs> south so yeah it's we're, we're seeing a lot of different stuff so that that's cool uh a texas version starting up um all right patrick I, i've been filibustering do you have anything you want to throw in here before i continue to ask more uh, yeah, so I wanted to ask, uh, you know, beyond the beer itself, like what places would you recommend for their atmosphere? What are great places to just sit and hang out uh, and uh, enjoy the day and have a session with uh, some beers for a few hours? Well, that's a very, very good question. I mean, obviously, um, it depends what time of year you come here because we have some incredible beer gardens. But um, in, in the heat of summer, you might want to prefer places that have, have a bit of air conditioning. But, <laughs> right. um, but in terms of um, my favorite spots to go and relax and drink a beer, um, nearest to my house, there's a really great new-ish brewery called Nomadic Beer Works. Um, they, are, they have a great beer selection, beautiful interior, a lot of which was actually made um, using reclaimed materials. Um, it's a lovely relaxed spot. It doesn't get um, too busy or too hectic, and they have a great range of particularly IPAs. Um, if you want a really really great huge open beer garden especially if you've got kids live oak who i've already mentioned um that's another great spot austin beer works if you just want to nerd out on the best of, of every style um and they have a great patio as well with astroturf it's so cool um and <laughs> Blue Owl Brewing um, in the center of the city, they actually are really unique because all of their beers are kettle soured. Every style they do is um, is a sour beer and it's all huh. really fantastic. I mean, their sour IPA, their hot tatum IPA is, is just absolutely cracking. They just recently did a version of it, um, um, a milkshake version called the Tiki Hot Totem that I, we have drunk a lot of those. Um, and they have <laughs> a beautiful tap room that is actually blue and actually has actual blue owls. So um, I would definitely um, recommend visiting them. Um, Oddwood Ales, who again, I think I've already mentioned in the center of the city, they're lovely. Again, it's very, very sort of clean, wooden, it's slight, slightly Germanic taproom um, and some really, really great beers. And if you're heading out of the city, um, there's yeah, so, so, so much choice. If you don't mind a bit of a drive, um, you might want to head out to um, a brewery called Twelve Box, which is about an, about an hour from our house, so about forty five minutes from the centre of the city, and that's right like nestled into the hill country. They do a lot of um, European style, um, Belgian style doubles, triples, and they put, put their own unique, very American spin on it, and they're fantastic. And also Vista Brewing out in Driftwood, who, yeah, their barrel-age program is brilliant. And their tap room, they have their own stage um, and their own restaurant. It's just a lovely place to spend an afternoon. So it's it's pretty typical in many cities that uh, we've had an explosion of breweries in the last, you know, five, three to five years. Is that typical in Austin, too? Are a lot of these breweries that you're mentioning relatively recent? Yes, Definitely. Yeah. That's yeah, that's an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it has been amazing how uh, cities yeah. have just transformed that way. 
It's fantastic. Lots of people who would be celebrating their first or second anniversaries right now. Obviously, they can't have parties. But um, yeah, it's it's been fantastic to see how the scene has grown, even in the um, three plus years we've been here. It's wonderful. Yeah. How are breweries doing in COVID in, down there? Oh, well, we sadly, we have lost um, a, a few. I know everywhere has, um, particularly um Sad to see uh, our neighbours, Skull Mechanics, go. They were, yeah, really, really great local tap room, and also the Brewers Table, who did some fantastic, really experimental beers. Um, the Texas Craft Brewers Guild has done an amazing job, um, really advocating for our breweries, despite a lot of difficulties created by the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission, who insisted on counting breweries as bars for a long time, really holding them back when restaurants and other businesses were open. Fortunately. Um, we are now beyond that here in Texas. Uh, we're getting more into reopening, and um, things are yeah, things are slowly improving, which yeah. is really good. Um, there's a great brewery called Infamous who um, ran a great campaign to help try and um, change the ruling about the um, regulation regulating of um, breweries as bars. They did a postcard campaign that was really, really great in terms of galvanizing public support. So um, you know, people here care, you know, they want to protect their breweries. It's important. Yeah. And an interesting thing is here in the Northern part of the country, we've uh, just come through the summer where all the breweries were able to have people outside. Um, and now we're, in fact, earlier uh, uh, in the intro, Patrick and I were talking about how depressing it is that uh, it's getting cold and dark and we can't really sit outside. But for you, that's the opposite. So this is the breweries are probably feeling like they just had to survive through the summer and now it's going to maybe look up a little bit. Yes, there's definitely a lot of truth in that. It's very hard to sit outside in the Texas <laughs> summer. Um, it's um, also it was very, very different for us because we had a much stricter lockdown at a time when everyone else was more open um, here because that was when we had a big surge here. So we actually people were at home uh, for reasons beyond their control aside from that. But yeah, this is certainly a great time for breweries to be able to reopen because we're just able to sit outside and enjoy the weather again and get out on those patios without sweating in a really uncomfortable manner. So yeah, right. yeah, this is, this is a good time. So one, one brewery that I think uh, people in the country know really well, um, even if they haven't had very many in their beers, is Jester King, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Will you tell us? You've, you've, you, did you say you were out there yesterday? Um, I was out, I'm in that part of the hill country. I, I didn't actually visit Jester King yesterday, but I was out in Dripping Springs yesterday. Yeah. Gotcha. So tell us about Jester King and what what they've got going on and what it's physically like to go there for those of us who've only ever seen their bottles. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, just, what Jester King have done for the beer scene in Austin is, is huge. It, it can't, you know, it, it, it can't be underestimated. And they have an incredibly beautiful property, as all properties in that in the Hill Country are. And their tap room, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lovely, lovely leafy expanse with great views. And their beers are obviously fresh from the source, which is super exciting. They take a really, really active role in the community as well, which um, is just brilliant. They have a volunteer core where they um, engage with an, every, a nonprofit, a different nonprofit every month um, and encourage uh, volunteers, not just from within Jester King, but from amongst um, the local community too. And they uh, they pretty much single-handedly created this whole sort of beercation destination around them with so many other breweries popping up as their neighbours. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I hope that at some point you guys will get to um, to come out here and, and experience that um, because, yeah, it's it, it, it's a really great place to visit. They recently actually just hosted a 5K um, in support of Black is Beautiful. There's a great guy um, here in Austin called Marvis Dixon. Um, he's on Instagram as um, Hannah Bank, and he has been um, running a campaign to get more breweries involved with Black is Beautiful. Um, he has a Black is Beautiful black flag that he takes around with him to each brewery that um, that releases the beer. And he's also been organizing distanced and virtual 5K runs to raise additional money. So Jester King actually hosted the last one of those. So yeah, they're, they're very important here. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, you know, uh, famous a nation and maybe even internationally 
worldwide for Absolutely internationally. Uh, My UK friends say, bring us the Jester King. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, so they, so for people who don't know, they, they're famous mostly for uh, their experimentation with wild yeast cultures and wild fermentations. Has that influenced that component, the brewing style, uh, yeah. influenced other breweries in the region? Is that Has that become a driving force or have they set themselves aside by seizing that ground? Um, they were the first, but they definitely started a, a huge trend here. Uh, we have so many breweries um, who do at least some of their beers as um, mixed culture, spontaneous ferment, and several who do all of them. And um, Just King have definitely, definitely sparked a movement. And for someone like me who absolutely loves um, spontaneous ferment beers, this is a great place to live. Um, there's a fantastic brewery called um, New Brown Falls Brewing Company, which is in the town of New Brown Falls, which is just outside of Austin. All of their beers also spontaneous ferment. Um, and I heard on one of your previous episodes you were asking about texas pickle beer they started the texas pickle beer so that's yeah, that's really really cool um and tell us about texas off, pickle beer <laughs> i actually have one in front of me it is not open at present but um it is literally a beer made with dill pickle juice. They put different chilies um, in different versions. The one I have in front of me um, is a jalapeno, very low ABV, just 3.5%. But my goodness, it burns, but in a really good way. <laughs> if you like chili and pickle, it's it's amazing. You're just like, <sighs> your whole mouth lights up. It's pretty incredible stuff. We, we uh, Patrick's tech has has failed, uh, and he he's he for some reason he's dropped out, but he's sitting right there, and he was very intrigued by this whole pickle beer thing. Is it is it is there a, a typical base style? Uh, it's a Berliner Weiss, yes. I see, I see, yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's you've got the acidity already going. Uh, Absolutely, it, uh -huh. yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. I've had a lot of different versions with different chilies, and they they get really, really they get they vary. The jalapeno one, um, which I have in front of me, is pretty mild, but the um, I had a habanero one, and that was a lot a lot more intense. Um, but I love that stuff. I think it's fantastic. So Texas pickle beer is this something? If you go to various breweries, different breweries also make this. It's kind of a local thing. Is that? Is that what you're telling me? Um, a few others have, have, have taken it on board, particularly at Martin House um, up in um, Dallas. They've done their own um, version of it. Uh, in my opinion, not as pickled or as spicy, but probably a bit more accessible. Whereas the um, the new Brownfields, I mean, that that's yeah, that that's for other us serious sourheads. <laughs> And it's a taste. Uh, pickles have a particular peculiar flavor uh, that's not just sour, but also pickly. It, it's yeah. have that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my husband can't drink it. He says he says it's it's, it's too much. Not the chili, but pickle. <laughs> nice. Uh, that's fantastic. So um, tell us, since we're on Texas pickle beer. Uh, mm -hmm what the kind of up and coming cool breweries that people may not be familiar with, like, you know, uh, some of the breweries you've mentioned, um, I think even layman like me would know from Portland, uh, but you're on the ground there. Where are the cool places other people, uh, you know, don't know about? Give um, us the hot tips. Well, this is um, for, for um, any Austinites listening, um, they would be like, you're so this is cold, but um, there's an area just north of the city called Cedar Park. It's mostly known for um, housing estates, but um, mostly for people who work in tech industry, as you know, tech is a big thing here. But they've actually um, got a new swathe of really, really exciting breweries. Um, Hedgehog, who unfortunately they do not have a drink in tap room yet, but they have some really, really cool um, IPAs, sour beers, and um, we've had, yeah, some fantastic and they had a great mango habanero ale that, yeah, I absolutely loved. Um, and then who do have tap rooms, um, a wonderful new place called Humble Pint. Uh, and they have some great um, English style beers as well as um, IPAs. Their Black is Beautiful was phenomenal. And they are super friendly, welcoming people. Uh, we've been there a few times now. Um, and then a brand, brand new brewery called Southpaw. Um, it's just a, a couple. They're doing everything themselves. And 
they had a fantastic double IPA um, and a, a, a great parallel and we loved visiting them. We can't wait to go back. So um, different pockets of the city. Yeah, where there are people, there, there will be beer. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's the thing. You got to, you know, you have to have a local to guide you to these newer places Absolutely. that are cool because uh, there's so many, it's, it's difficult to keep track of them. It's even hard mm-hmm. for Patrick and me here in Portland. So the, I think the last thing we should touch on is food uh, and particularly uh, barbecue. I think we absolutely have to get into beer and barbecue. If, if a person like me wanted uh, to do beer and barbecue, is that possible? Or do you have, do you have to do it separately? Or and, and also maybe you just want to tell us a little bit about Texas barbecue. Um, absolutely. I, I love Texas barbecue. We went out for Texas barbecue last night. Um, I actually just finished finished our leftovers before coming on, onto the show. Nice. So um, I... Um, can't recommend Texas barbecue enough. If you are from another major barbecue city, you may feel differently, uh, not wanting to be controversial. Um, lots of breweries have food trucks. They tend to move around and switch locations. Um, there is not an actual brewery with a barbecue restaurant attached to it. Uh, but my favorite um, barbecue restaurant is actually um, called Salt Lick. It's out in Driftwood. It's the only place where you can get barbecue bison rib. I would highly recommend it. And you All can right. bring your own beer there. So you can go around, go to a few breweries, Vista Brewing's up the road, um, grab yourself some um, some to-go beers and settle in for a really, really great meal. And what's that place called again? It's called Salt Lick. Salt Lake. They have their All own right. winery as well, and their wine is also great. But if you want to like really tuck into the beers of your choice with some barbecue, that that would be my um, my recommendation. They have live music at weekends. There, yeah, it's a really really great spot. That Definitely. sounds fantastic. That seems like a an Austin experience to have right there. Absolutely. Yeah. What about other food? Is is uh, what's Austin's food scene like, and and is beer integrating into that at all? Absolutely. Um, similarly to um, what I was saying about live music, uh, restaurants have really, really taken local beer and breweries on board, which is fantastic. And we do have plenty of brew pubs here as well. We've, as I've mentioned, we travel a lot and we've been to a lot of cities where it's like, you have to choose. Do you go to a restaurant or a brewery? Do you drink mm. or do you eat? That's not the case here. Um, you'll, you'll never have that that problem. Um, Pint House Pizza, they're very well, well known for their pizzas. Um, Obwoodales also have great pizza. Jester King have their own pizzeria on site. Um, we have some really, really good pizzas. But, and ABGB, my um, friends and neighbors, who you may have heard of um, as well, they have fantastic pizza. Um, so I would definitely say if you're if you're hungry, choose a brew pub. But at the same time, most restaurants will have, um, I would say, three, four, five uh, craft beer, um, local beer, either on draft or in cans or bottles. You can find some places there's a great pizzeria called 600 Degrees um, in just in a suburb just north of the city called Georgetown. They have about 20 local beers on tap. It's amazing. Wow. So, yeah, that you, you can definitely do both. Excellent. Well, we're getting uh, near the end of our time here, uh, but I'm interested if to hear if we've missed anything, give you a chance to fill in any blanks that I didn't ask about. Um, the only other thing that immediately springs to mind, I mean, I'm sure I'll think of 20 things later, is just how supportive um, our breweries are of their community. Uh, so many of our breweries have re- have specific um, community um, initiatives. Um, I know I mentioned that Jester King has its um, volunteer core, but they're, they're by no means the only one. The ABGB runs what they call the Hell Yes Project, where they have volunteer activities. They clean the uh, one of the um, local uh pools. They also give 10% of their yearly profits to local nonprofits. Um, loads of our breweries um, organize fundraising events, Vista, 12, Fox, um, Circle, Fourth Tap, Blackstar. There's just so much involvement um, in trying to um, to help out locally. And I think that that's one of the things that I really, really love about the beer scene here is how engaged um, everyone is. And similarly, um, as I said, how the, all the elements of the city really try and come together in a really uh-huh. positive way. That sounds fantastic. Uh, 
And as you were talking, I, I thought of one more question, which was, uh, do you have friends from back in London who come visit you and what do they make of Texas? Um, we've had a couple of friends come and visit so far and a couple of family members. And uh-huh. yeah, everyone's been really, really positive. It's been great. And we love showing people around. Um, some of our um, most fun experiences actually have been uh, friends I've made over Twitter who've come out here, who um, I've had the um, the chance to, to show around and really get to know in person, as well as being able to show off our local beer scene. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, yep, it, that's been a really, really special thing to be able to do, to be able to say, yeah, I, I can take you to the good places and you're going to have a good time. And they do. Right. So that's, yeah, that's wonderful. And hopefully I'll get to do that with you guys at some point. Yes, I would very much like that. Uh, Patrick is nodding um, in into his uh, mic that's not working right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we would love that. Um, I think our virtual tours things is making us want to travel even more. Um, yeah. It's wonderful to hear from people uh, about their home cities, but it, it it doesn't actually satisfy. It makes you want to go and see it for yourself. So you've done a great job of making us want to come visit you, and hopefully we'll do that. Hopefully COVID will let us do that sooner rather than later. Oh, I hope so too. That would be fantastic. All right. Well, Ruvani Da Silva, did I get that right? You did, yes. All uh, right. Uh, you are uh, Amethyst Heels online, and uh, and your website is craftbearamethyst.com. That's it. I, if anybody is planning to go uh, to a trip to Austin, definitely uh, visit the website because Ruveni has a ton of uh, reviews of different breweries around town. So it's like a huge wealth of information. So check that out before you go. And also hit me up on social media. I am happy to show you around, please. Excellent. Well, we're going to take you up on that. (laughs) Thank you so much for uh, giving us a virtual tour of your hometown. And um, we will hopefully talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ruveni, for that. Uh, Also, we should say going out. um, that That was fun. That was great. She's awesome. I know. And uh, it makes she, me really, so, really, really about Austin. She was so worried about uh, being inexperienced on podcasts, and she was so much better at it than we were. So <laughs> <laughs> I know you got to pick our guests more carefully, Jeff. You can't make us look bad. Uh, anyway, that was really fun. I can't wait. I want to go to Austin. I want to have some barbecue, some beer, hang out in the beer garden. I can that, handle. I can handle the heat. That would be a good one. We, you know. Uh, you, you've you mentioned Asheville before, but I'm thinking maybe maybe Austin would be better. It sounds like we should probably time it not to do so right, like in August. But right, yeah, let's now. not go to let's not go to Texas in August. Yeah, <laughs> about now would be perfect. Yeah. When, when she saw, talked about, I can't remember which one Austin Beer Works. I think has the big astroturf. It's like that's great, except probably not. <laughs> Not in the middle a, of the day in August. Not when it's melting under uh, your feet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's turn to the mailbag. Yes. Uh, so we've got a bunch of mailbag. We're going to get to one this time. This one's from Frank Higgins. Hi, Frank. Thanks for uh, chiming in. Frank says, I grew up in Philly and its suburbs, but now live near Reading, Pennsylvania. I agree with what you said. Philadelphia has always seemed to have a little brother complex compared to New York City. We are not as big and our sports teams always seem bad. Well, <laughs> yeah, not so bad in the NFL this year. Uh, the Jets and Giants are both pretty pathetic. That's right. <laughs> uh, although the Phillies struggling a little bit too. Yeah, anyway, really however, however, we did get into craft beer before they did, possibly because of more antiquated laws in New York, although they were fairly bad in Pennsylvania as well. Like everywhere else, they there are uh, tons of great places for beer in the city, but if you get a chance to visit, you have to visit Monk's Cafe. They have been around for a while and have always had a great tap list. Uh, P.S. Philadelphia International Airport has always been a horrible, and it's a place even the locals dread flying out of. Yes, I mentioned that. I don't ever seem to be able to fly into and out of Philadelphia without some major catastrophe. Yeah. And I do actually, I've probably stayed in like three or four different Philadelphia airport hotels because of that. Oh, there Uh, you go. Those suck too. (laughs) So, yeah. Consider driving to Philadelphia. (laughs) Train's good. Yeah, train. (laughs) Or flying into uh, another airport. Very uh, nice. Like Newark or something. All right. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do another uh, virtual tour at some point and, and uh, do Philly because Philly is a really important beer city and, and one that I'd like to hear And it is about. a great city. I love visiting Philly. Just yeah. the airport, it makes it tough. By the yeah. way, he mentions, enjoy your books and the podcast. Keep up the great work. 
All right. Well, thanks, Frank. I don't think he's talking about my book, by the way. I think he's talking about yours. Oh, you don't sell yourself <laughs> short. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, we should go to Philly. We should check out Monk's Cafe. And in fact, we should probably do it, if we can't get there in person, we should do another virtual tour. Speaking of virtual tours. Yeah, I think we should definitely do a virtual tour and we can talk about a real tour later. Excellent. All right. Well, I think we're just about done with our time for today. Uh, so uh, we'd like to thank Ruveni, our guest today, for introducing us to Austin and the beer scene. Can't wait to visit. Me too. And uh, I got to say a few words going out. That's right. I knew there was something else. <laughs> All right. A few words going out. See, see Ruveni, we're just terrible. This is what I'm talking about. I know. She's made me feel inadequate. <laughs> uh, please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments to jeff at beervanablog.com or on Twitter at beervanapod. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog, and he tweets at beervana. And Patrick tweets at beernomics. All right, we have nothing to cheers with, but we'll have a psychic Austin pickle beer Yeah, in my hand. Pickle. I'm not. I'm going to say I'm not sure I'm going to love it, but... I can't wait to try uh, it. Yeah, a pickle beer. Uh, <laughs> hey, keep an open mind. It's an indigenous expression which I admire it's, always. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and exactly. yet, I'm I'm not sure that I'm sold on the concept. So maybe that's we'll only to, one way to find out. That's Jeff. only one way to find out. <laughs> All right, cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick.